Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. We are here maximizing outcomes, and we're so glad you've joined us. Jim McGovern has a guest today to talk about disability insurance and ways employers can make it truly cover their people. I'm Patrice Sikora. So, Jim, tell us about Tasha Joe Hill. We're going to uh, bring a, an expert on the show today to talk about disability income planning. We're going to take a different angle. And uh, for those who've been following the show for a while, you probably remember episode nine, where we spoke about income being the most important financial resource that we have during our working years. And if you think about your income, it's it's not just used to live your lifestyle today. You also use your income to invest and save for the future so that one day you can retire. Uh, income is used to provide for our families, but it's also money that we use to give back to others. We use it to pay back people that we owe money to, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan or a student loan. So if we think about our income streams, and you think about the life that has been built around that income stream, if it suddenly and permanently stopped or it was cut in half, the lifestyle that you've you've built would look vastly different. And it's not just today that you feel that impact. It can create permanent damage that you'll feel for decades. And when we think about what could stop our income stream, it's it's almost always um, something where a health event that we see in our in our world that causes a permanent change in somebody's income. It's one of the highest probability offense, events that we face, and it can shut that income stream off. So we want to revisit this topic today, but we're going to take a different angle, like I mentioned, because when it comes to protecting your income, we find there's usually two things that get in the way of people having better protection against these events we're going to be talking about. One is knowledge. It's part of the reason why we do this show. This topic gets very little attention, but once people understand the issue and they discover the gaps they have in the way they're currently protecting their income with their, their group disability insurance, for example, or maybe a policy they got through an association, almost everybody I speak with wants to take action to have better protection for their income. But the second thing that gets in the way is the ability to implement solutions. So it costs a big part of this. We're going to address that today. But an even bigger issue is being healthy enough to get disability coverage outside of work. It can be a real challenge for a lot of people. So we're going to address both these issues and a lot more today. We're going to be speaking directly to business owners, C-suite executives, the key decision makers, and employers of all different shapes and sizes. So if you're an employee of a company and you're listening to this show today, I want you to hang with us for the entire episode. I want you to understand this subject today, but I'd ask you to share this episode with the owner of your business that you work in or the C-suite executives or the decision makers, because odds are that this is a new topic for them. And without you sharing this episode with them, they may not have the opportunity to learn about this. So before I introduce Tasha and bring her into the show here, uh, the McGovern Wealth Group is, is very proud to be part of a much larger enterprise called Lifetime Financial Growth where we're a group of 300 professionals at LFG. We have a really deep bench of talent to pull from, and we're going to be pulling some of that talent onto the show today. So Tasha Joe Hill is the Director of Income Protection Strategies at Lifetime Financial Growth. She's actually based out of our Cleveland, Ohio office. And we're going to be discussing what employers and business owners can do to enhance disability income protection for themselves 
but also for their employees. So Tasha, very long intro, but welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jim. So you've been in this field for how long now? (laughs) 21 years. 21 years. I'm sure you've seen all sorts of things. When you work with a a business, what's the motivation for a, a small business or even a larger employer to enhance the benefits package that they're already offering? I would say the number one reasons employers offer benefits for their employees is, you know, they're looking to either enhance what they're already offering. I know attraction and retention are, you know, kind of hot button issues right now. Employers are having difficulty keeping people and finding people. Uh, so the attraction retention component is is huge. They also want to support their employees' well-being. I, I've never seen so many employers who really, truly want to take care of their employees. Uh, so supporting that well-being is also key. And then certainly, as we're seeing certain generations remain in the workforce longer and new generations coming in, there's that that need to appeal to a multi-generational workforce as well. Of all the perks that an employer could enhance, why are so many choosing disability insurance as something they want to really ramp up uh, what they're offering? Such a great question. And when you said that, I, I've seen a lot through my during my 21 years that couldn't be more true. I mean, who would have thought we would witness a global pandemic? And I think if any good came out of it, and I'm not sure that's the right thing to say, but you know, what it really did is is it raised awareness about our physical and financial vulnerabilities. I think back to just the first couple weeks of the pandemic. And if you recall, I mean, how many people were freaking out for lack of a better term because they were losing one or two or three weeks pay. So I think that has created just a, a, a huge awareness around those physical and financial vulnerabilities. And it's created a, a need for employers to address that for their employees. So I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of, of a business owner or an executive that's, that's being pulled in a lot of directions. And when this topic comes up, usually there's a knee-jerk reaction of, you know, we already have disability insurance, which is probably true. A lot of employers offer a group disability insurance contract, but those policies have a lot of limitations. So can you explain what group dis- group long-term disability insurance is and what some of the shortfalls are? Absolutely. Uh, I do think there's a, a huge educational component around the subject of group long-term disability insurance. And, and, you know, it's interesting, even when I work with advisors, not just employers, they tend to just kind of skip over the topic once they find out their clients have group long-term disability insurance. They kind of check the box and move on to the next item on the agenda. And again, there is such a huge opportunity to educate and dig a little deeper and really shine a light on what group long-term disability is, what it does, and like you said, where the limitations or shortfalls may be. So what I like to tell people is that, you know, especially employers, they've done a great job of providing this tremendous benefit for their employees. Group long-term disability insurance is a a great foundational level of protection. Typically, it's going to provide 60%, maybe 65 or 67% income protection. Sometimes I've even seen it as low as 50 or 40%. So it's going to provide income replacement up to anywhere from 40 to 67%. 
And it could just be covering base salary only. So one of the the first areas that we like to address is what is the definition of covered earnings? And for anyone listening who may be in sales or who may earn uh, not only commissions, but bonus income, other variable or incentive compensation, there may be a huge misunderstanding thinking that 60% of your total salary is covered. But when we peel back the curtain, we find out that it's only base compensation in a lot of situations. Some employers do take it a step further and do ensure total compensation, but mostly what we see is that base compensation only is covered. So I'm thinking of somebody who's who's maybe entry level or earlier in their career where you know maybe their income, I'm just gonna make a number up here, maybe it's fifty thousand dollars. So it might be that their their income percentage really is maybe 60% of their income. But what about somebody who's maybe making $200,000 a year and maybe has a bonus of another $100,000? Would that same plan be giving them that 60% of their income? Or do you find that there's you know hard limits on this is the most this policy can pay? And they might be like only 20% of their income. That's a great point. So typically, those in, in more entry-level positions just coming into the workforce who may have lower uh, income levels have more protection than somebody who is earning more income. And then you introduce the subject of caps on group long-term disability insurance or maximums on group long-term disability insurance. So we talk about 60% or 67% of income is covered, but then again, you look a little further and you find out that that benefit is capped out at Five thousand, seventy-five hundred, ten thousand dollars per month, and if it's paid for by the employer, it becomes a taxable event. So now we're looking at someone like you said who's making two hundred thousand dollars. Maybe their base income is covered only. Maybe a hundred thousand of that two hundred thousand dollar income is bonus compensation. So we're and there's a a cap, maybe a five thousand dollars on that group plan. So we're talking about kind of three strikes against them, causing them to have what we call the unintended consequences of reverse discrimination, where someone who's making more income is receiving far less income protection than somebody who's making less income. I think that's one of the things that it's most surprising to people when you sit down and you start to go through how their plan really works and they kind of try it on before they're disabled to see what does this really do? And they're they're blown away. They're going here all this time. I thought I had 60 or 70% of my income would be provided to me if I was disabled, but turns out they may only have 20 or 25%. That's bad. But what, what happens to things like when you look at total compensation, Retirement plan contributions are typically a, a part of that. You know, employers give matches and and you know profit sharing contributions. What happens to those things when somebody is disabled? Well, if you're not working, you're not contributing to your retirement plan, your 401k. So that goes away as well. I'm sure we'll we'll address this further on in the the presentation, or maybe we talk about it now. That there are plans available that do protect retirement contributions in the event of a sickness or injury. One last question before we move on, just think about how these group plans work. Uh, not to get too into the weeds, but words matter, right? When we read how a disability policy works, that definition of what a disability is 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 critical. So can you just share with us some some common language of of what a group disability policy typically considers to be a disability and how that might differ from a policy that somebody picks up on their own? Absolutely. And I'm thinking that maybe I... Uh 
I take a step back here because one of the other shortfalls with group long-term disability insurance is that the employee doesn't own it. So they have absolutely no control over the coverage that includes they can't take it with them if life sends them in a different direction. If they have to leave the state, leave the employer because they have to care for an elderly parent or their spouse gets a job somewhere on the other side of the country, the policies typically stay with the employer. Employees don't get to take this coverage with them and they don't get to make any of the decisions. Therefore, the employer could actually cancel the coverage. They could decide they need to cut costs. So they're going to remove the group long-term disability offering altogether. They're going to reduce the benefit cap. They're going to change the language, change the definition of disability. See there, I was trying to trying to get to the, the segue of your, your question. We actually had a situation in Cleveland, Ohio with a major employer who changed their definition of disability under their group long-term disability plan and created just complete havoc among their employee population. So a lot of times we'll see a group long-term disability plan with a definition of disability, aka what triggers the benefits to be payable, uh, something called a modified own occupation definition. And a modified own occupation definition simply means if you cannot perform the material and substantial duties of your occupation, you will receive your total disability benefit so long as you are not gainfully employed in another occupation. Which Pretty seems harsh. It, it, <laughs> it gets worse. It gets worse. And this is what this employer did. They changed that already mediocre definition of disability to an any occupation disability, which says you'll be considered totally disabled if you cannot perform any occupation for which you are suited based on education, training, and I guess reasonable expectations. I'm kind of forgetting the language a little bit. So that's like a social security definition. So this employer changed their definition of disability to something that was already a little bit subpar to a social security definition of disability. And if you, you've heard anything about social security disability, most of those claims get denied during the first at bat. So these employees, you know, they were quite concerned. And luckily, we were able to do something to address this huge shortfall in their new group long-term disability plan. And I think that's what we're going to probably talk about here. But to just kind of put the finishing touches on this part of the conversation, Jim, the best definitions of disability are called true own occupation. And that's what you really want to look for. And those are definitions that say you'll be considered totally disabled if you cannot perform the material and substantial duties of your specific occupation, your specific occupation, even if you choose to work in some other capacity. So let's say you can't practice law. Let's say you can't practice medicine anymore. Let's say you want to continue teaching or you want to teach your knowledge to, to students getting into your profession. Under a true and occupation definition, you can still collect your total disability benefit as long as you cannot perform your specific occupation, even if you choose to maybe teach, or I always say, if you want to work at the golf pro shop, if that's your thing, or the flower shop, or whatever whatever you want to continue doing to remain active and, and continue to have that sense of pride, right? 
You don't want your disability insurance plan to dictate how you become disabled, how you recover, or how you're going to contribute to society. So one more thing before we move on, because I, I'm just starting to think through the occupations that, that tend to pay the most income tend to be highly specialized occupations. So you might be, like you mentioned, like you could be a lawyer, you could be maybe uh, a, a physician. And it's like you've poured a lot of money into your education. You've poured a lot of time into honing in your craft. And as that income climbs, it's like if you can't do that job, there's not an abundance of other career paths you're probably equally as qualified to do that you can turn on and make the exact same income the next day if you're disabled from that occupation. And I think that's kind of the heart of the matter. So I'm thinking about somebody who's maybe a trial lawyer, a lot of stress in that field, right? You got to be, mm-hmm. you got to be pretty sharp, but you, you may have a health issue that impacts your ability to do that. But if you decide, you know what, I can go teach law school, you're taking everything you know, you're teaching others, but that is a vastly different career. It may pay you well, it may not, but having a good quality disability policy would be able to fill that gap in income that you, you what you were making before, uh, you can't do it anymore, so you still get compensated for it, even though you're working some other occupa- uh, some other occupation. Absolutely, and you bring up an interesting point. Part of the education that we provide that needs to happen is what is a disability. You mentioned highly stressful. No one probably thinks that stress, anxiety, depression is a quote unquote disability by the terms of a a disability insurance carrier. But those are the types of things that are qualifying disabilities. If a job becomes too stressful, if someone's depressed because of something that happened in their family or to a loved one, those could be qualifying disabilities. And a lot of times people are thinking, you know, I've got to be in a wheelchair or parking in the handicapped spot at the office, or I've got to be hooked up to a bunch of tubes in the hospital in order to be disabled. And that's our industry's fault by calling this coverage disability insurance versus income protection insurance, because it immediately conjures up things that we can't fathom happening to us. So that's part of the education is what is defined as a disability. What I mentioned on episode nine was that, you know, I think it's somewhere the status around like 90% of all the people who are receiving a benefit from a disability policy, it's it's illness related. It's not it's not injury. It's not they didn't fall off a ladder. They didn't hit by get hit by the proverbial bus. It it was an illness that popped up. And Tasha, do, do these do these programs we're going to be getting getting into in just a minute and talk about more details here? Do they require somebody to be totally disabled, where they can't work at all, or are, are there ways that they say, hey, you know what, I'm just not as fast as I used to be. I'm not as uh, I'm not as productive as I used to be. I'm still working full time. Would a group policy pay that versus an individual plan? A group policy would pay for those types of situations, but certainly not in as many claim scenarios or as as much as soon or as long as a typical individual disability policy. Partial disabilities are interesting because a lot of people don't understand what a partial disability is. They think, well, either I'm disabled or I'm not. What does that mean? Like the left side of me is disabled and the right side is fine. What does a partial disability mean? And most disabilities... And I'm going to use a statistic that I heard a long time ago, so I don't know how accurate it is today, but I think you and I have been in this industry long enough to know that most disabilities at some point in time are going to be partial in nature. So I think the stat is like 74, 75% of all claims are partial at some point in time. And those are situations where, like you said, you may still be working in your occupation, but maybe you're not as fast, you're not as efficient, you're not as productive. If you think about a physician or an attorney or an an accountant, someone who deals with 
clients and, and patients and, and is maybe fee for service, maybe they have to cut their their client or patient load in half. Maybe they can only do three surgeries uh, per week versus 15, but they're still working in their occupation. But as a result of only working partially part-time, they're suffering an income loss. So those are types of situations where someone may not be totally disabled, they're still working, but they're suffering an income loss because a back injury, uh, a stress situation, maybe they're going through radiation and chemo for cancer, but they're they're in a situation where because of whatever's going on in their life, they can't earn as much income as they could prior to this disability happening. So they want to make sure they're receiving some type of a an income cushion to take care of them during those periods of time when they're partially disabled. Excellent. So let, let's get into supplemental income protection programs and just talk about you know what are they? What are some of the benefits and the features? You know why would an employer look to do something like this? Uh, so we just start off with like what what supplemental income protection programs are. Certainly. So we talked about group long term disability insurance, and I'm going to kind of repeat what I already said. Uh, and that again, they're they're great foundational plans of protection, but they're one size fits all. They're usually taxable. They're capped at certain benefit limits, whether that be five or or ten or fifteen thousand dollars per month. They may not cover bonus, commissions, variable or incentive compensation. They're not portable. Am I missing anything, Jim? I'm, yeah, I think I'm, you got, I think you I got, got the majority the of it. List, right? <laughs> all right, good. So. Because of all of those reasons, what a supplemental income protection program does, or what it is, is it is an opportunity to basically fill those holes and bring employees up to optimal protection. And what it is, is it it is a layer of individual disability insurance sold on a group chassis, but it's still individual coverage that is designed to, again, layer on top of the existing group long-term disability plan to take care of that taxable component, to take care of covering bonus and commission and incentive comp, to provide more robust protection, and to take care of those key executives, key employees, high income earners who are reversely discriminated against under the group long-term disability plan. So you mentioned that this is individual coverage. Yes. Right. But it's on a group chassis. So just tell us what that means. That means that there is no application, 20 page application. There is no medical exam, no insurance examiner coming in, coming to your your work or your home with poking and, and prodding you for, for fluids. There's no tax returns that need to be provided. There's no uh, questions about medical history. And I, I, like I said, I've been doing this for, for two decades now, over two decades. And 95% of my career has been spent helping individuals secure individual disability insurance on a one-on-one -on -one basis, whether they come to me via an advisor like you, Jim, whether they come to me directly because they've done an internet search and have found my name. But when I have to take an individual through the full underwriting process, so this is outside of an employer-sponsored program, like the one we're talking about, but when somebody comes to me one-on-one -on -one and I have to take them through this process, it is just getting more and more challenging, more difficult for people to acquire this coverage on their own outside of a program like Supplemental Income Protection. The reason being, we are seeing such an increase in stress, anxiety, depression, autoimmune disease, 
uh, people who go to the chiropractor frequently. We're, we're seeing it all. And this type of history, even though someone may feel healthy today, this type of history is causing people to either receive very modified policies through the full underwriting process, or they're getting declined. I have, I've never declined so many individuals, young professionals in their early 20s and 30s than I have over the last few years. So one of the, the really big benefits of a supplemental income protection program through an employer is the ability to provide this additional layer of protection, individually owned policies with no medical or financial underwriting. Can't stress enough that the fact that each employee receives their own policy. Correct. Uh, and that's important because sometimes employers have to let people go and you know, and it may not be because of performance reasons. It may be a great employee, but the company has to downsize or they, they're shutting down a division. And this gives the individual the ability to say, well, I own my disability policy. I can take it anywhere I go. So if they decide, Tasha, to enter a completely different career path, you know, maybe they were in, just trying to think of an example, maybe they were working in the sales department, but now they're going to be working in some other career path and they're going to be, uh, they're going to be in the accounting department. That policy follows them anywhere they go. And even though they may be doing a different occupation, it still covers that new occupation. Is that correct? It's correct. And even if they take another job where they're making less income, the policies are non-cancelable, guaranteed renewable, so they cannot be made worse. And we had a lot of situations, again, I keep referencing the pandemic, but I remember March of 2020, I was getting inundated by phone calls, people saying, you know, my employer reduced my pay, or I've been laid off, or I'm on furlough, or I've decided to just change occupations altogether. Do I need to call the insurance company and notify them that I need less, that I have to reduce my coverage because I, I received a, a reduction in pay? And the answer is no. These policies, again, cannot be changed or modified. By, by the insurance company. By right? the insurance company. That's okay. an important point because that. people think, wait, yeah. I can't get out of this if I right, want right, to. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, cannot absolutely. cancel the policy on you. Correct. You can cancel it. You Correct. can make changes, but they can't change it. Correct. Excellent. Okay. Just make sure we got that got that clear. But so so it's a way for, for people to basically say, okay, I can get my own policy that I might have a lot of difficulty uh, either with just time or, or medical history or just financial underwriting, just difficulty even getting the coverage. So that's great. But are there any other perks that they might get, you know, in terms of just like group buying power, for example, by doing it this way versus trying to get the coverage on their own? Jim, I'm glad you asked that because yes, there are a couple of, of additional perks that I haven't even touched on yet. One of them being that these policies come pretty heavily discounted. I mean, we've seen discounts as as high as 40% off of what you would pay uh, if you were to secure this type of coverage on your own. And those discounts, along with the policy as a whole, those do go with you if you were to leave your employer. So it's it, it would not be a situation where you have to leave your employer, you take the policy with you, and then the premium jumps up by 40%. No, those those discounts stay with you. And for all, uh, all my female listeners out there, uh, we are generally speaking about 30% more expensive than our male counterparts just because actuarially speaking, that's always a hard work for, hard word for me to say, but we go on claim more than males. So our prices are or our rates for disability insurance are about 30% more out the door. These policies are unisex rated. So again, we're already 
priced significantly lower under these types of programs. And you add the discount on top of that, hugely beneficial for the female population. I want to go back into back into my my business owner shoes here for a minute. Sure. And I'm thinking, okay, this sounds great and it's not free, right? Does the employer have to pay for this? Can the employer pay for some people, but not everybody? Like, like how do they put start to put a plan together to figure out who do we roll this out to? Don't you always love the underwriting response of it depends? It depends, right? <laughs> <laughs> there are, are multiple ways to structure these plans. They can be, most of the ones that we've been enrolling recently have been 100% employer paid. Again, because I, I think employers have a new calling to really enhance that employee well-being. Uh, they really want to take care of their their good people because they know good people are hard to find. 100% employer paid is an option. Depending on the size of the program, we may be able to offer these on a voluntary basis. So it costs the employer nothing. The employees just decide whether or not they want to enroll. Or we we can structure them as sort of a hybrid where maybe a portion of the population is paid for by the employer and the rest of the, pop, the population uh, would be a voluntary situation. Or maybe it's a cost share where the employee employer agrees to pick up maybe 50% of the cost and the employees pay the other 50%. So lots so, of different ways to structure a plan. And I'm sure we're going to talk later about what it takes to determine what options are available. Yeah, I actually want to get to that uh, next, actually. Okay, um, sure. But before we do that, so can the, because a lot of owners are thinking, okay, this is for everybody else. Can they include themselves? Absolutely. One hundred percent. And can they, you know, a lot of owners will take like a like a, a salary. You know, they're trying to manage the tax bill, and then they'll just take distributions at the end of the year. Can those distributions be counted as um, as income in this program, or is it really just uh, you know any money that's it's flowing through the payroll? Distributions can be counted. S corp, K one, absolutely. All right. Fantastic. So, so if an employer is starting to think, okay, this this sounds like something I should explore further. What are some some next steps to just kind of put their their toe in the water a little bit to understand, you know, how do we put a plan together? Who do we cover? Who do we cost share? Who do we who do we have pay their own way? Like, like what are some next steps? The next step is really as simple as providing a census, and it doesn't have to be anything overly specific or or intrusive. Uh, all we're really looking for is job titles. We don't need names or social security numbers at this point, at this stage in the process, but really just job titles, dates of birth, gender, income. And if they want to provide bonus income, they can do that as well. They can provide the last two years an average. They could provide the previous year. We can help with that. But that's really all we're looking for, as, along with a copy of the group long-term disability certificate or plan summary. And that way we can look at the the population. And by the way, they can discriminate. I hate that word. I will we'll say select what population they want to include in this program. Again, it's intended for the the more highly compensated individuals. We have gone as low as maybe $60,000 in the right situation, but Typically, the population that's most reversely discriminated against, it starts at probably 75000 and above. So when putting together a census, you can certainly provide the entire population or you can decide, you know, I want to base this on people making seventy-five dollars or $100,000 or more, or I want it to just be people uh, who have been with my company for five years or longer, or I just want to include the C-suite or the senior vice presidents. So it's income. It's years of service, 
and or its job titles to create an eligible population for this type of plan. So basically start, starting to put together kind of a, a draft of what's possible. It just starts with that census, taking a look at the at the group benefits booklet, and then just walking through, okay, here, here's what the options are. You know, where can we trim? Where can we add? And, and getting a feel for how the program really works. Uh, is it really that easy? It's really that easy. You know, we, we can't make recommendations until we identify what the problems are, right? And would this change any you know, any underlying group long-term disability plans they already have in place? Because, you know, sometimes people say, hey, we already have this set up. We don't want to disrupt that. Does this just literally sit on top of it? Or did they have to make changes to that group disability plan in order to do something like this? That is such a great question because I think immediately when we present this to HR individuals, professionals, uh, comp and benefits teams, I think the immediate reaction is, well, I don't want to change what we're doing. It's going to be more work. I'm working with a really great benefits broker that we've been working with for a long time. I have a good relationship with that person. We are not looking to touch, change, modify anything that they're currently doing. We just want to enhance it. And this is where our specialty comes in. You know, I'm not a benefits broker. I, I, I know enough about group long-term disability to talk about it in a setting like this and to, to provide the proper education. But our specialty or my specialty is individual disability insurance. And that's a completely different animal, but it's something that, that, you know, we as a firm do really well. I do really well. So we're just looking for ways to enhance what their benefits person has already done for them. You mentioned HR. First thing that came to my mind was open enrollment season. Uh, definitely, yeah. yeah. That that's that's crunch time for for the HR professionals. Does this have to work with their current open enrollment season, or can this be done at any time throughout the year? Like, I, how do you how do you navigate those waters? So, I actually recommend that we do this off cycle, an off cycle enrollment, because that gives us an opportunity to really provide the education that we we stress so much. And that education can happen by way of, you know, coming to the the business and having individual meetings or, or group meetings with the eligible population that we're including in this plan. The education can happen by way of webinars. It can happen by way of mailers to the home. So it really doing an off-cycle enrollment for this type of plan is so preferred because of that education, because that's what really makes this program sing. And that's what really brings a, a value add to this type of opportunity. And the, the enrollment is pretty simple. If it's an employer paid plan, if, if a company says, hey, we're, we're going to pay the cost for these certain employees, that's about as simple of an enrollment as it gets. It's oh log gosh. in, check a couple buttons and you're done. But for people that are doing more of a hybrid approach or it's more of, uh, hey, we're just making this available to you as a company. We aren't paying for it. You decide if you want it. How involved is the enrollment for those people who are just choosing if they want to be in the program or not? It's not involved. They'll they'll get an email that looks like it's coming from their employer, so it's recognizable. And it also provides the education that I mentioned by way of an online enrollment tool. The enrollment tool will be specified or personalized based on each individual. So if I'm clicking the link and I go into my enrollment site, I see my income. I see, you know, I, I can run an expense calculation. I can see where the shortfalls are. It's personalized to me. I decide if I want to enroll. I can decline if I don't want it. I see different options. There's typically three different plan designs that people can choose from, you know, good, better, best. 
And I get to see all of these different ways that this coverage can work for me. But then at the end of the day, if I still don't want it, I can decline. I can opt out of it. But it's very, very simple. It's a, a state-of-the-art enrollment tool that we use. And we, we've heard nothing but good things about it. Fantastic. Well, Tasha, if somebody wants to, to learn more, uh, what's the best way to reach out to you directly? So if people want to get in touch with me, the best way would be my email. And it's Tasha underscore J underscore Hill at G-L-I-C dot com. Tasha is spelled T as in Tom or as in Tasha, A-S-H-A underscore J underscore Hill, like a small mountain at G-L-I-C dot com. Excellent. Well, Tasha, thanks so much for coming on the show today and, and sharing your your vast knowledge on a, on a pretty technical topic that doesn't get a lot of attention. And with that, Patrice, let me turn it back over to you to, to wrap us up. That really was a great informative discussion, both you folks. I, you covered disability insurance, including covered earnings, a definition of disability, and supplemental protection. And that's just some of the topics you covered. So, Jim, how can listeners reach you if they have more questions? Yeah, so a couple of easy ways to reach me. Uh, one is you can just go to our website, which is www.mcgovernwealth.com. Uh, there's a little button on there. You can click to contact us, or you can just email our team directly, which is info at mcgovernwealth.com. Listeners, follow this podcast, Maximizing Outcomes, to know when the latest episode is ready for you. And of course, share with others. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities. Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number 0F67329 AR Insurance License Number 7119103 California Insurance License Number 0F67329 Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103 Compliance Number 2023-161720 expires October of 2025.